Welcome to David Clark's We Are Superman podcast number 138. I am your host, Bill Stahl. I had a very enjoyable trail run this morning with a group of great guys from Black Men Run Denver, which is a a support group that encourages health and wellness among African-American men by promoting a culture of running to stay fit. I was introduced to Black Men Run by previous We Are Superman podcast guest Josh Lajani, who runs with the Black Men Run chapter in New Orleans. There are chapters all over the country, and I would encourage you to go to the Black Men Run website to see if there's one near you and get involved. This is the second power play with Jason Coop, an ultramarathon coach and host of the very entertaining and informative Coopcast podcast that I would highly recommend if you are an endurance athlete. That is Coop with a K, Coopcast. This episode will also give you further tips and insight to help you get back racing in 2021. As mentioned earlier, we recorded these before Jason took off to run and hike the Pacific Crest Trail between Canada and Mexico with a friend of his over the course of many weeks to come. So please enjoy Jason Coop and me in the power play. So, uh, Jason Coop, welcome back. We had a great conversation earlier about what the state of the uh, ultra marathon and other events, FKTs and um, big backyard ultras and things like that, how, where they're going. But um, now let's talk about, you know, people getting into it. They've been through this long pandemic and a lot of people I've talked to, a lot of folks I coach have expressed some fear about, oh, wait a second, this is happening now. I'm not ready for this. And you know, so many people feel undertrained, under mentally prepared, if you would, yeah. and um, are, are having you know real qualms about sticking their, dipping their toe in the water and getting back into racing. And my contention all the time is that, like, so what? Just get out there and do it because you know <laughs> you're going to experience. Uh, you can have a great experience for one thing. You're going to you're going to gain. You know, if if you haven't trained well enough to run fifty miles, say. Just going out there and attempting 50 miles, whether you finish or not, it's still a good training run. And plus, there's so much, you know, maybe you've forgotten about the gear you need. Maybe you need to retune, get more in line with your nutrition, your hydration, learn all those things. So to me, it's a matter of, you know, just get over your fear. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, hey, you want to start a new business, you want to, you know, start a new relationship, whatever. Sometimes you just have to stand on the edge of the cliff and jump, right? Well, so there were two two runners kind of emerged from this pandemic. The first one is the runner that saw all of the races evaporate and said, screw it. I'm not training anymore. There's nothing for me to train for. Right. The people that are really event focused, I'm training for the Leadville trail 100, like my whole, everything that I am about down to the, the last fiber in my soul is about the Leadville Trail 100. And when that's taken away, they're like, oh, shh, like, what do I do now? Like, what, 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 right. what do I do? There were those runners. And then the runners that running means something deeper to them as opposed to getting a finisher's belt buckle or a medal at the end of the race. For the runners in the former group, they had a hard time training. And motivation was hard to come by. They didn't make their 5 a.m. wake-up calls. They might have stopped running completely for for, for several months, there were a lot of people in yeah. that category. For the people in the other category, largely things didn't really skip a beat. They kind of look back on this time like, yeah, you know, I wasn't maybe I was training at ninety percent instead of one hundred percent. But it, things really, really didn't kind of kind of skip a beat. In either one of those cases, 
people are itching to get back onto the start line. Yeah. And now that the races are starting to get booted back up, interestingly enough, both of those categories of athletes, the athletes that didn't train at all (laughs) and the athletes that maintained their training, both feel that they are inadequately prepared for whatever race that they found themselves (laughs) in, which is the irony of ironies because that should not, those two categories of people should not be thinking the same on that particular topic. So it just goes to show that whenever you're for experienced runners and beginner runners alike, you are always going to have feelings of inadequacy whenever you sign up for the race. And that is because races represent something that is harder, more difficult, more arduous than you have done in training. Right. It might be a little bit harder, more arduous, or a lot harder or arduous, but it's always going to be more difficult than the day-to-day training process. That's part of why we sign up for races is because it's something that you can't kind of recreate in training. And the solution to that is, I think the solution for athletes is first, realize that's going to be the case. And it doesn't matter whether you haven't raced in a year or two years or four years or four weeks you're always going to be somewhat underprepared for the race. Now the degree to which you are underprepared for has entirely to do with the, with the training process. But if you realize that it's never going to be perfect, that, that takes the load off of your shoulders a lot in terms of like what the performance kind of, kind of actually means. The second thing to realize is because there's been this dearth of racing going on, there hasn't been a lot of racing going on. And most runners have a pattern, right? Right. They go, they go on the, you know, sign up registration link, they go register, they plunk down their credit card, they get a confirmation email in, in, uh, in their inbox. They start training a week before the race kind of rolls around. They get their Airbnbs lined up <laughs> and whatever other last minute logistical details and things like that. They go out to the race, they put the bib on, the gun goes off. That whole process, which is bookended by the registration date and the race date, has been removed. And for whatever reason, because that that habitual pattern is something that we are all very used to because it's now being incorporated back into our lives 18 months down the line. People are like, Oh my gosh, what's going on? Like, I don't, what's, what's the name of the website that I need to go to, to sign up? Right. Okay. Do I get, do I get confirmation that I've actually signed up? Okay. When do I hear from the race director again, these things that we were in this pattern for all of a sudden we haven't done for 18 months And it just leads to a lot of, it kind of leads to a lot of uncertainty and doubt. And that's natural. It's fine. I think a step of getting over that is just realizing it's natural. At the end of the day, it's still running. Right. And that's all it is. It's running. You put one foot in front of the other and eventually you get to the finish line. And hopefully you get to the finish line. Right, right. And, And so for the athletes that are having a hard time wrapping their heads around, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to be racing again. And there's, you know, it's for whatever reason, it just becomes a mental block. I think it is really as simple as looking at it as going, okay, I'm just going for a run. Then once you get to your first race, you realize it's just a run and then everything else is normal from there. But getting over that first hurdle, I think it's incredibly important just to simplify, just to simplify things to the basic. It's a run. Yes, you've got a bib on. 
Yes, there's going to be people that are masked up in aid stations handing you single serve Fig Newtons or whatever it is, <laughs> as opposed to you grabbing, you know, grabbing a handful of M&Ms from the bowl that right. 300 people before you have grabbed out of like, <laughs> there's some procedural things that are going to be changed. I don't think we're ever going to go back to that either. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think people like this more cleanly, you know, cleanly, right. uh, uh, friendly uh, environment that we have. But um I think that we're gonna we're we're once you can kind of get over that hurdle that at the at the end of the day fundamentally it's still running. Once again, that's another weight that people can kind of take off their shoulders, and then everything just just really returns to normal. And everybody is thinking this too. I think that's another thing. Like I have elite athletes who travel around the world to all the most fantastic races you can think about. And they still are like, oh my gosh, I need, I need, I, I, I need a practice race before I go to this right. big race, which I get, I, I mm-hmm. kind of get the sentiment for that. But I think what the everyday athlete can kind of take from that is even the elite athletes who have a lot of stake in the game, right? They still have this need to like dip their toe in the water and do like a practice run because they feel out of practice for not the running part of it, because they've been running the whole time, they feel out of practice for the sequence of events, for the events that surround mm. the event, the registration, I'm going to get there, I'm going to go get my bib, I'm going to lay out all my stuff the night before. Like that thing, that whole process offers a little bit of trepidation right now. It's where people are like, whoa, I don't know if this is something I want to jump into and I need, I need to get my feet wet before I actually do. Yeah, but think about it. People are going to start taking vacations for the first time, for instance. And we probably all had our steps that we took to get ready to go on vacation. And, um, and you know, I, I saw my family. I t- took a trip, saw my family for the first time since uh, Thanksgiving of 2019. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, what do I do before I take a plane trip? Yeah, I got to, like, I got to call the uh, mail, get the m- mail turned off, my newspaper turned off, you know, and just all these little steps. But you know what? You did it. I mean, it's just, I, I just took care of it. I, I remembered, oh yeah, I got to pack this many pairs of running shorts, this many pairs of you know, socks or whatever to go take a trip. And it's no different here going into a race that you're going to say, oh yeah, that's right. I needed this uh, uh, hydration vest and this uh, rain jacket, these gloves, you know, whatever it is, it, you'll do it because you're you're going to have to do it. And, and just like in the past, I mean, even before pandemic, yeah, I would get to a race site and go, God damn it, I forgot, blah, 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 and have to go to the store and buy it. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's always something, right? But like I said earlier, it's never perfect. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember one time being up in Leadville and I was in the store with a buddy. We we're buying headlamps. I mean, it's like, how the hell did we forget headlamps? But we're sitting there going in the closet in the store and turning on the headlamps to make sure that they're happens a lot. Uh, exactly. Or the batteries in the headlamp. Like, uh, trust me, I've seen it all. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. You know, I, I think everybody has that fear of, um, you know, just, oh, I'm underprepared. I mean, I don't think. 99% of runners believe that they are in perfect, great, trained shape, everything all dialed in before a race. Everybody goes and say, God, I wish I could have gotten in one more long run. I wish I could have gotten another speed workout in whatever. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a story about a kid I used to coach who, um, high school runner, good runner, but he was injured the entire spring. And in Colorado, to go to the state meet, you have to finish in the top 18 in that, in that discipline. And that's how you qualify for the state meet. And the state meet is, until this year, it was always the third weekend of May. And so this kid didn't have a single race the entire year until the first week of May. And we didn't have time to build base. 
So all we did was speed work. We just crammed speed work in here. It was, we were really running a risk here, but um, there's no time to build a base. So he did speed work and he managed to qualify for state in the 800, the 1600, the 3200, and his team, uh, the four by 800 relay also qualified. And in the end, he ended up on the podium basically in the top nine in all four events that he entered at the state meet, even though he'd literally only run his first race about three weeks before, and he didn't even have any miles at all. All he did was speed work to get ready, but he had that experience. He knew how to race before. He just had to reach into his bag of tricks, so to speak, and remember what he did before. And, you know, we dialed in a strategy. It was very unique for what he had to do. Like in the 800, I told him, at the first lap, and he was the last qualifier. He was qualified as the slowest runner in the race. I said, at the end of the first lap, you will be in last place. Mandatory, you know? And, <laughs> and what we're going to do is with all the speed work he did, we're going to turn this into a 400-meter race for you, basically. And he was able yeah. to overtake enough people in that last lap that he, like say, finished on the podium. So, um, But yeah, there's, there's a classic case of somebody who's grossly underprepared and yet was able to succeed on the biggest stage out there, basically. Well, don't get me started on base training. That's uh, a whole <laughs> other training topic that we right. can spend some more time on. It's, yeah. yeah, okay, fair enough. But So what else would you recommend to somebody, though, who is experiencing the fear factor of getting back into racing? Well, okay, so we, we can play off of that base building piece just, just a little bit. Um, realize that endurance training is chronic. It yeah. takes months and years to both build and deteriorate fitness. So a lot of, here's another way that this comes out that I think will really resonate with people. So whenever they're prepared, whenever athletes are preparing for uh, an ultra marathon, they will always ask what their longest long run is going to be in advance of whatever it is. So I'm right. training for, we, we've been using Leadville. I'm training for the Leadville trial 100 is my longest long run going to be 50 miles or is it going to be 60 miles or is it going to be 65 miles? Like, like tell me what it's going to be. They want to kind of like satiate some amount of curiosity. And so whenever I have athletes ask me that I say, okay, let's take the extremes of that one singular longest long run, which let's say it's between 40 and 60 miles. Right. Okay. So the Delta there is that's reasonable, right? Would Mm -hmm. you agree coach? Absolutely. Between 40 and 60 miles. That's a 20 mile Delta. Okay. What percentage is 20 miles of all of the training that you will do leading up to this race? It's a very well, small, small fraction. Very small, it's right. V- it might be 1% or 3% right. of, the t- of the total. So your focus is on the 1% or 3% for stemming from one run that you're doing in preparation for this. My focus is on the 97% of the rest of the training leading up to that. Okay. Fair. And my point with that in this context is that even through the pandemic and even leading up to these races that are now starting to unfold, you get to rely. And this is a good, this is one of the great things about endurance training. You get to rely on months and years of training and preparation for that event not just the last several days or even the last several weeks of training. 
So realize that from the onset that if, yeah, if your training hasn't been perfect, getting into it, maybe you got into something last minute, maybe you got bumped up off the wait list that you weren't expecting right. to, to get bumped <laughs> off. Of. That's happening a lot. Like take advantage of the opportunity. You know, it's very rarely perfect. As long as you've been doing some running, you can leverage, you know, you can leverage that to, a, to a very large extent, but realize that, you know, 2019, everybody was training awesome for the first part of 2020. Everybody was training awesome. Like that's still meaningful right? coming back here into 2021. And yeah, it might not be perfect going into it. Maybe, maybe you're not in tip top shape. But at the end of the day, I think that that um, if people realize that there's this chronic nature to training, if, if they zoom the lens out to the last three or two years of training, what they're looking at in front of them isn't so daunting because it doesn't like it as a as a in comparison to the whole. It's like, oh, yeah, it's reasonable. I can totally handle that because of all the stuff I've done over the last three years, not over the last three months. No, that's a great point because I know I'm the world expert at coming back from injuries that I can, even though I've done a lot of cross training while injured, that when I f get back to running, I'm not starting out like, you know, when, if you read David's first book where he talked about, you know, being 320 pounds and his first run was literally 15 seconds on a treadmill and then he regressed to 30 seconds, he didn't have any history behind him. Whereas I've obviously built up a lot of that history. So when I get back out there running, I can usually get out there and at least run, you know, a few miles to start and, you know, build up from there. And I think everybody who's been in that lower training mode has that bank of training miles, if you would, just as you're referring to, yeah. so that when they get back in, they can definitely get on a very steep curve of, of, of increasing uh, their fitness, their miles, and, and everything else that's going into the preparation for that next race. Don't you agree? Well, yeah. I mean, once again, endurance training takes a lot of time to, for the adaptations to sink in. It's very stubborn to go away as long as you maintain some minimum dose. And that minimum dose is very, very way lower than we think. It's on the order of 50% because compared to whatever your maximum dose is. Yeah. Um, and um, you're right. As long as 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 long as you've been as long as you've been doing those things, you can reasonably step into a lot of races. And yeah, you might not have a PR or your best day out there, but they're 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 reasonable to complete and to participate right. in and to have a good time in as well. So, I think uh, we we tend to this gets exposed during injury cycles a lot too. We tend to overblow the amount of performance capability impact or physiological capability impact that downtime or uh, unideal training actually causes. We think that it's a freaking train wreck when in reality, we stuck you on a treadmill in our physiology lab and did a test before, did a test after. It would almost, it would be really close. It wouldn't be exact, but it would yeah. be, it, it would it, it would be very, very close, especially to kind of an untra untrained eye on, onto what things were actually different. And there's probably more noise in the test than, you know, than there is actual difference. So it just goes to show that, you know, that, that these layoffs, even when they're really long, you don't necessarily have to push the panic button on because these physiological things that you've taken so, you know, such meticulous care to develop, they're very stubborn in their way that they don't really retreat all that fast given a, a relatively small minimum effective dose. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think if you're training for shorter distances, say 5K, 10K, maybe even half marathon, 
those races themselves can serve as speed work, so to speak. You know, I think one of the things that maybe fell off a lot for people during the pandemic was, you know, I've always had this weird thing. I could do speed work by myself on a track pretty successfully. Uh, but a lot of people, they really don't do speed work well unless they're in a group setting. They get together with their local running club and they, they do their intervals on the track. And of course, a lot of that went away during the pandemic. And so obviously their speed work dropped off tremendously. But um, if you jump into a race, at least when I was younger, and I haven't experimented with this as I've gotten older, but I know back when I was in my 20s and 30s, I could just do 10K race every weekend kind of thing. And that would serve as my speed work because I think for a lot of people, it's kind of like doing speed work. You get out in a race and automatically you've got people you got to chase, people you're trying to uh, prevent from passing you. You know, it's kind of that a little bit of dose of speed work that um, substitutes for actually getting on the track or doing, you know, 1K loops on the grass or whatever it is. And so I think you can, at least when I was younger, I was able to race myself into speedy shape, so to speak. Again, I'm, I'm older. I'm not sure if it would work now quite as well, but, um, you know, I think there's a lot of value just getting out there and racing again. Yeah. And d don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I would consider myself a strong advocate for high intensity work. I'll use high intensity kind of synonymously with your version of speed work. Yeah. Um, but the bulk of the, the bulk of the gains that you get are from low intensity, moderate intensity, long duration type of training in, in an, in an ultra marathon setting, not referencing your, you know, track runners right. that you were talking about earlier. But in my world, in the ultra world, the bread and butter is just the volume. Uh, it's just the volume that you're doing. Um, so even if that speed work component that you just mentioned that you like so much, even if that went away during COVID, you're still fine. You just went out and you plotted along at a 60% reduction in your total volume for a year. Your fitness is pretty it, it's not that far off the mark compared to your ideal fitness. Now it takes a lot of work to get to that, to get that last like 10%. Don't get me wrong. And for yeah. some athletes, that's meaningful. Like you have an athlete that, you know, that's trying to make the cutoffs and, you know, it's just kind of right on the border of that area. They want every last little, you know, inch of performance gain that they can get. But for the majority of athletes that are kind of in the bell curve, you know, you get that 10%. 10% or so performance, uh, uh, or, ca or capability decline because of whatever training happened beforehand. Usually the race of the noise, like the variability of the performance <clears throat> within that particular race itself is a whole, is a whole lot bigger than whatever raw performance decline that athlete actually went through because of an un ideal training. So I think all of this comes about because we have the lens zoomed in too tight we're focused on the 20 mile difference in that longest long run. Right. We're focused on one key session that we didn't get one key training block, you know, that for whatever reason went, went awry. When you broaden the lens out to the last 12 months of training or even 18 months of training, which I think is really important for athletes in ultra marathon situations and realize that that training is not materially that much different. Maybe it's like 10% different around the edges. You're still going into races with a lot of your ammunition and you can still do really, really, really well uh, across a lot of those. Sure. And most of the research does show, as you pointed out, that if you do the bulk of your training in so-called level two, zone two, whatever you want to call it, uh, of, and that's heart rate training talks there, that you're going to see the greatest gains. Yep. 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 
Absolutely. What's the heart rate range that most people should be aiming for there? Those people who are using heart rate monitors. <laughs> yeah, the magic heart rate range for yeah. everybody. <laughs> no. It's green. That's yeah. what I say. Exactly. It's green. Good. Whatever. Green. Like yep. you can't you can't magically aim for that for everybody, right? Yeah, I know. It, 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 and that's a whole another subject we could talk about. I mean, I've had kids who I call them hummingbird hearts because they could train consistently at 170 beats per minute and seem like they're not even breathing. And it's just <laughs> and then I got this ridiculously slow heart rate where it's really hard for me to get my heart rate into any kind of zone that means anything according to all that metabolic testing. But that that's yeah, all another yeah. subject. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can get into that. You know, surprisingly when when you're trying to do things like that, it becomes unnecessarily technical. Because right. I used to do that a lot in our physiology lab. We go in our physiology lab and we test somebody and we get training ranges, speed-based ranges, heart rate, rate ranges, power ranges on the bike and things like that. And then we try to apply them to training. And then what you found out is you actually need to provide more technical insight than you were actually gleaning from the lab in order to make it applicable in the real world. So it's kind of like, you know, if you're a coach out there or if you're like self-coaching, you get a certain amount of knowledge from just what you get from the field. And then you go into a laboratory setting and you get a, a you get an enhanced le- level of knowledge for what you see in the lab. And then you go and you apply those things from the lab out into the field. And those two things are greater than the sum of their parts in terms of the knowledge level that you gain. So this is a totally total, like total tangent, but it was a top of mind with, with one of our coaches recently. When you combine those two, the knowledge that you can glean from working with athletes in the field and the knowledge you can glean from with working with athletes in the lab and then take the third step where you're combining those two, those are worth greater than the sum of their parts. And you kind of have the best of all, like of all those worlds right there, but it is not easy. It gets exponentially more complicated when you try to combine, when you try to combine both of those. But at the end of the day, it's good for athletes. No, without a doubt. No, that's great stuff. And hopefully those are some good tips for people who are trying to dip their toe in the water of racing again. And is there anything else we should uh, cover here before we wrap this episode up? Uh, well, so for athletes that are hesitating, getting back into racing, just don't just do it, deal with the ramifications later, jump off the deep end, like take a little bit. If you feel like you're taking a little bit of a leap of faith, jumping into a race, that's totally fine. If anything, we need, we should be more opportunistic and less meticulous planning right now as things are coming back up online. Two years from now, we can meticulously plan. We can take our nice little 18-month periodization cycles and all this stuff and build up into these ideal, you know, idealistic, you know, fitness pyramids and all this kind of stuff that coaches try try <laughs> try to do that we, right. you know, self-admittedly overcomplicate things on. Right now is not that time. Right now, enjoy getting back to races, jump into things, grab the opportunities, you know, as they're in front of you, even if it seems haphazard and poorly planned and things like that, like you'll be fine at the end of the day, get back into the routine and just enjoy it. Gets back to one of my uh, favorite mottos is it'll all work out. It'll all work out. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You bet. Well, hey, thank you, Jason. Exactly. This has been fantastic. Uh, hopefully people gain some good tips out of this and get back out there on the trails, the roads, and get back to racing. Yeah, happy to be on, Bill. You bet. Thanks so much. Thank you again for listening to the We Are Superman podcast. If you wish to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful way is to subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And please just take a minute and give it a five-star rating. These five-star ratings help us rise higher in the podcast services search algorithms, helping more people find our show. I would also appreciate it if you would share the podcast or a favorite episode with friends or on social media. In coming weeks, I'll be making an announcement about the Unfuck Your Fridge Challenge to help you adopt a better eating lifestyle and improve your health. Also, please contact me if, like many people during the pandemic, you have written a book and are looking for editing or proofreading services to ensure that it goes to press perfectly written without typos, misspellings, and grammatical errors. Nothing destroys your book credibility more than poor writing and editing. As many of you know, I was the editor for David's last couple of books, and I was very proud of getting those out to press, looking absolutely perfect for all of you readers. Until next time, get your vaccination so we can all get back to the people and doing the things that we love, and always be positive. Positive.